Welcome to the Cal RG and TRG seminar. Our speaker today is Matthew Ridu from the University of Cambridge. And um, Matthew will be speaking about perspectives on the learning landscape. Mainly it's about the research methods that they are using to complement the institutional point of view. Before we get started, we are recording this um, session, so just for your consent. And uh, we may make the uh, recorded material available to uh, open students afterwards and maybe accessible on the internet after editing has been done. So we'll um, allow almost 40 to 50 minutes of uh, presentation and leave the last 10 minutes for answering more questions that may arise. So over to you. Thanks, Stacey. Um, well, um, just explain who I am and where I'm from, perhaps. Um, I'm actually from Australia. I'm here for um, a couple of, of years, um, and I've been working at the Centre for Applied Research and Educational Technologies in that time. So my background is in educational design, um, but I also have a background in history and philosophy of science, specifically um, uh, social studies of technology. So some of the methods that I'm going to be talking about are sort of social science methods, and I have an interest in the application of those methods to e education. Um, so that should put some of the, the talk into some context. Um, before I even get started, uh, does anybody have anything that's a sort of burning issue that they'd like to say already um, that I can help to focus my attention for the talk? Um, you might have seen the little abstract. Um, you've got the title at least, and I can tell you it's going to be about sort of a range of research methods. But is there something that's really on people's minds that, that they'd like me to address? If not, I'll... Yeah. Give you my challenge. Yes. Uh, I'm on the Open Learn project, our open content one, and, and the challenge that we've had from our funders is tell us about the people who won't tell you anything. So if you've got any research methods for people who won't actually tell you anything, I'll be quite keen on those. I'll think about that. That's a really good question. Um, yeah, there may be something in, in one of the methods that, that comes to that. Anything else? That's a really good one. I mean, I guess uh, another interesting one is tracking people who are using stuff on the move. Yeah. Maybe okay. Covering that anyway. We're going to use the flip chart now because we've got to a list, so <laughs> I might forget it. So, um, people who don't tell you anything. Sorry about my writing, but hopefully I can read it at least. And people on the move. I did warn uh, Keith that I was going to move around a little bit because I do teach dancing. So <laughs> I'm sorry about the pan already, Keith. But um, so anything else? Anybody else like to, to mention? Are you doing anything on sort of questionnaire design? Because we questionnaire design. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll mention a little bit about um, the survey that we did. I'm afraid I'm not going to be uh, any great expert on that topic, but I can at least um, give you an insight into what we did. <laughs> so um, I'm very much an early career researcher. I don't want to misrepresent myself. I, I, I um, have uh, um, really just begun with this sort of stuff um, in the last two years, um, and the work that I'm going to be presenting is um, from a team, uh, namely myself, 
Catherine Howell, who's also at the um, at a Carrot, and uh, one of my mentors. Um, Michael Arnold, who I'll mention again in a second, who's from the University of Melbourne in the History and Philosophy of Science Department, um, who contributed much of uh, the thinking behind the methods that we're talking about. And Michael spent um, four months with us at Cambridge um, on the uh, initiation of this part of the, the project. Um, I'll start with um, a little word about what the Learning Landscape Project is. Then I'm going to describe the uh, student ICT sub-project, which is really what I'm going to spend most time on, um, one piece of the jigsaw puzzle that is Learning Landscape Project. Uh, along the way, I'm going to give some examples, and I'm going to draw out, uh, try and give you a picture of the way that we're drawing out emerging themes from these data. Um, I want to say at this point that the examples that I'm giving are not intended to be... Um, taken as sort of uh, indicative research findings or something like that. They're in the context of a presentation about methods. They're to give you a taste of what we're doing, um, not really to present in, in any full way our research findings. Um, so don't draw too much from the particular examples that I give you. Um, ha having said that, I think that we get gain very interesting insights just from seeing those examples. Then I'll move on to current work. Um, we're, we're doing some repetition of these methods um, right at the moment. And then I want to leave some time for reflections on, on that stuff. So um, the Learning Landscape Project, it's a two-year project within the University of Cambridge. We received HEA funding um, for one component of the project, really, which is um, ostensibly about e-learning, per se. Um, my group, the, the Centre for Applied Research on Educational Technologies, is the obvious place to go for that at Cambridge. Um, but the response from um, the university about this funding was, well, you want us to do a sort of benchmarking study about e-learning, but that doesn't make all that much sense within the context of the University of Cambridge. We want to look at teaching and learning per se, and we want technology to stand on its own two legs within that, um, within that view of the, the institution. Um, so the e-learning component is, we see it as just one strand of what we're doing. Um, the focus of my work hasn't been so much on e-learning per se either. It's been on the use of ICTs within students' daily lives. And I'll explain that more fully. It's, um, we have a, a quite a large structure for the project. <laughs> um, I'm one of two um, researchers who's been on the project from the very beginning, uh, Catherine Howell and myself. But we are supported by a project team within Carrot, um, which is getting larger and larger by the day, it seems. Um, I think we counted about nine people at our, at our last meeting. But we also have a project board chaired by the um, PVC of Education, Melvina McKendrick, um, which is very important um, because it demonstrates the sort of institutional buy-in to the project, I guess. Um, and... We also have a sort of stakeholder group, um, what we call the steering group, and it's intended to steer the project, which is made up of about 40 um, mostly academic teaching staff, but also some administrative staff and some student representatives. So it's quite a, quite a um, large group. So this is a photo that my mother took, actually, when she came to visit, and I think it's quite... I mean, being from not, not from within Cambridge, I, th I find it fascinating the fact that um, 
students at Cambridge are um, they're in this sort of interesting zone where um, how can, you know, do I have to say much more? He's reading a book um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful day, the Cam River's there and, and they've got grapes and um, what strikes me about this environment from the purposes of this project is the distinction between the um, sort of learning environment and their home environment is blurred, they, they, and and people in, throughout the project have reinforced this view. I must say, but um, uh, it looks to me like he's got some study books. I don't know if he's a student at all, but but it looks like he's doing some sort of work, um, and also it looks like they're having a good time. So their social life and their student life is intermingled. I think that's significant, and hopefully I'll, I'll demonstrate that that's um, one aspect. Um, the, the study investigates which technologies students are now using and the extent and nature of their use. Um, it provides a picture of the use of ICTs by Cambridge students in the context of their daily lives in order to contribute to a fuller understanding of the teaching and learning environment. A word about the methods, um, and I will break these down individually, but we started everything with the survey. Um, the, the survey um, is a short survey um, and it took as its starting point a series of projects looking at um, student use of technologies, uh, many of which I expect you, many of you will be familiar with, including the Spot Plus project, um, a survey of 2,000 students at the University of Melbourne um, conducted by Gregor Kennedy and his colleagues, um, and uh, of which we were aware being from the University of Melbourne, but also because they're, they're undertaking a sort of national study now under this banner of... Uh, looking at uh, the idea of digital natives, this sort of Prensky idea. Um, most of the qualitative methods used in the project, um, again, I'll explain these further, um, were inspired by work on cultural probes, um, particularly the work of um, Bill Gaver and his colleagues from the uh, Royal College of Art, um, and Michael Arnold, who I've mentioned already, and his work on the Connected Homes project in, at Melbourne. Um, the day experience approach um, is also based on the experience sampling method. Uh, I'll provide a reference later on. And um, the day reconstruction method. And asks, asks participants to record answers to uh, specific questions at irregular intervals throughout their um, throughout the course of a day. Um, the shutdown challenge, um, or sometimes referred to as the cold turkey method, although we avoided that, that terminology for um, fairly obvious reasons, um, aims at uh, seeing what happens when participants forego particular technologies. Um, Hmm. I don't know if that really answers the questions about people who don't tell you anything, but it might answer something about the, the sort of null side of, of, of things. Um, and uh, it's partly inspired by this, the, the, the shutdown day. I don't know if people are aware of the shutdown day, but there's this campaign every year to shut down your computer for a day. Um, and uh, I'll talk about that in more, in more detail. How many people are we talking about? Well, we've got a, about... Um, just under 2,000 people responding to the survey, which is a good result, I thought. Um, 
we had uh, about 15 doing the day experience. These are the figures from the first term that we did. We've now, I'll talk about this, but we've, we've now duplicated a couple of these methods. So 15 people for the first day experience. Um, the shutdown challenge, we had 20. Um, very advanced technology, um, which takes more explaining. We got 17 people. And I think called Moves and Shapers, which is a discussion format, really. Um, we just had a group of eight students in this term. The sorts of things that we learnt from the survey, we asked about um, we asked about the frequency with which certain technologies were used and the um, level of confidence in those technologies, um, as well as sort of demographic data. So um, fairly straightforward. Now, this is one question, just to give you a, a taste of the sort of thing that we found. But we, we were particularly interested, and it turned out to be quite an interesting topic, in, in Facebook. When we say social networks at Cambridge, you know, equals Facebook really. <laughs> There's, there, there are other people are using some other things, but they're also using Facebook. So, um, really, we're talking about Facebook. Um, so, of of all, you know, this is sort of all students who answered the question. You can see that 41% um, of them are using it several times a day. A total of. Uh, 63% using it at least once a day. Um, and this sort of matches up with figures that have been released in this JISC survey that's come out recently. I don't know if people have seen that. Um, saying that roughly 88% of people are using Facebook at some time uh, in, in amongst the student population across the UK. So we, we're keeping up that pace at Cambridge. Um, among undergraduates, however, the, the figures are slightly different, and um, you'll see an, uh, a larger proportion are using it several times a day, up to 51%, which is interesting in itself. So one of the things that we found was the, the age of the, the students reported um, was one of the predictors for use of certain technologies. Not, not uh, um, something that's unexpected, but... Um, very easy to demonstrate with these sorts of things. When we looked at particular student groups, and I just picked this one out because we happen to be doing working up the figures for, for the Faculty of Law, we can even see um, quite, um, you know, an extensive use among law students apparently of, of Facebook. So 58, up to 58% of students are using it several times a day, which is quite interesting and poses its own questions. What we found is that the sorts of things we would find from these, the, the survey would sort of pose new questions and, and point us in the right direction towards um, where we might go in, in, with regard to our, our qualitative methods. And that was actually the main aim, to raise questions that we could then investigate. Well, perhaps we can find out why or what law students are doing in particular that, that makes them um, need Facebook. Um, so moving on to the to the qualitative methods, which is where I want to spend most of the time, we found we found that certain technologies were more heavily used than others, and um, we, and all that sort of thing. Um, other other techniques will make use of, made use of that kind of information. With the day experience model, the idea is to look at the use what students are actually doing in their daily lives. Um, by giving them um, recording devices. In, in the case of the first term, we used uh, these ones that I've 
hopefully you can see there, um, we used a voice recorder, a camera, a notebook, and their own phone. We didn't give them a phone. They, 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 they all, almost all of them have their own phones. Um, so we invited uh, a large group of um, students. We got 15 participants. Uh, interestingly enough, in this round, only three of those were undergraduates. It was exam term, last term. So we think that's why so few undergraduates participated in this particular day experience. What happened was we prompted um, the students at sort of irregular intervals between, say, um, 30 and 90-minute intervals um, at um, up to 10 times a day, I think between 8 and 10 times a day. These are the questions that, the, that we asked them. What's the time? Where are you? How are you doing? How do you feel about it? And there's another one, which was, um, what are you using? Um, and they would receive the message. At that point, they're asked to answer the questions using the materials that they had at hand, the, the notebook and the, photo, the, the cameras and so on. We briefed them on how to use them, of course, and uh, um, we gave them information about what they should and shouldn't uh, perhaps do with those, those things. Um, what we got back was a series of photographs from every student. We had um, notebooks and we had audio transcripts. And we've compiled those into sort of albums. For each student, we've got a sort of PDF file on the server um, with all the photos from that day and a notebook with a, a, a scanned image of the, of the notebook and a transcription and a, a transcription of the audio as well. So this sort of rich data set. It's quite nice, actually, um, to have the scanned version of the notebooks because quite often students sort of draw arrows all over things and they, you know, sort of draw pictures and things like that and you can't capture it really with any other way. But the transcription is very important too because we're also analysing the, them as texts. texts. So... Um, this is the sort of thing we got back. So this is what I meant by sort of example data. Um, here's a photo, one of the first ones we got back um, from, from one of the students. And I sort of looked at it, I remember looking at it thinking, what on earth is this, you know, before I'd read the diary. And it turns out this is a, a swan's nest. And that uh, this student um, told us a little story about the swans. Um, and I've just included the, the transcription of what she said. We got the audio back, and this is her audio transcription. So the time is 10 past 1. I'm out kind of behind Darwin College, which is right near the cam, and I'm looking at some swans that had just had their babies just hatched yesterday, so I've been taking some photographs. And I've been coming out here for the last three and a half weeks, ever since I saw that they had nests, etc. Um, immediately, you know, sort of, it was kind of interesting as to why a student would be engaged in this kind of activity. The fact that um, you know students who are reportedly you know the most busy <laughs> students in the country. You know, there's all these sort of figures that we started out with about how much time they spend on private study. It's it, it's clear that um, she's got a, a subject matter interest. She's a zoology student, as it turns out. She's doing a PhD, but it's not strictly speaking what she's studying. She's not actually looking at nesting among swans, she's just interested. So um, this is the kind of thing you find, a sort of rich, rich data about, well, perhaps reinforcing that idea of sort of the distinction between um, their life as a student and their private life as, you know, working and living around Cambridge. Um, this is from the same student's diary. I just put this in because it has 
an interesting little entry about, I'm in the Department of Zoology Computer Labs, I've come in to print out some files and I use the photocopier. I didn't print in colleges, it costs 5p per page. And it, I mean, that sort of little anecdote, it's quite interesting to people who are on the steering group about uh, thinking about the use of information and communications technologies because it's actually this 5p a page cost that's actually determining where the student is <laughs> physically in space. So drawing out, sort of starting to look at how we might draw out the themes, we, we had themes around space and place and time and um, this would be coded for that sort of thing. Um, give me a few seconds just to have a, have a quick look at that but all kinds of things, as you can see, come out of just this one diary entry. And we weren't, remember, we weren't asking for entries about information and communications technologies per se. We simply asked them to diarise their day and answer these questions. And, and one of the questions is, what are you using? So we get this sort of data. Here's another photo from the same student. Later on in the day, we see a, a laptop. It looks like uh, their room. Um, the entry that goes with this explains it a little bit. So it's later on, quarter past seven, and where am I? I was actually just in the kitchen preparing dinner and I was walking back to my room to check on the camera. So I was downloading the photos that I've taken today to see how they've turned out. I'm using uh, the Fuji FinePix compact camera, hooked up to a compact Presario laptop. Quite a lot of detail about the actual technology, I thought. <laughs> and so at the moment, I'm just checking out the quality of the photographs that I took. I think the other interesting thing about this, en this entry is um, right at the end she said, it's good to recharge the batteries after a lecture and before I start work again for the night. This is absolutely typical now, I know, after a couple of terms of doing this, working through into the evening, you know, and she's a PhD student, um, frequently working into um, later into the evening. Uh, this photo I, I put up there because, you know, even something like it that looks like a happy snap turns out to be an interesting thing for the for the for the project so when we when we do this we get the students to take the photographs we put them on file but we also get them to come back to us and um, join in what we call a slide night which is actually of course a focus group and they um, we get food and drink and uh, they sit around a table and we take a video camera, not unlike that one, and, and we get them to present their own slides. So she stood up in front of this slide and we said, well, what's going on here and who's this? And she said, this is my friend and she gave permission to be photographed and we were just, she's in my, she's on my staircase, you know, in Cambridge, it's all, I've learnt the te terminology, okay, a staircase is where you live, your group of, uh, you know, friends will be in, in uh, one area of the college which is called the staircase. And where are you? Well, we're in, the, we're in the kitchen. And she said, she pointed to the table. And there's this sort of table. It's about not much wider than this and, and a little bit, uh, you know, the, perhaps the depth to the end of that, where the, where the uh, flip chart's standing. She said, that's the size of our kitchen. <laughs> and she said, the, the record number of students in this kitchen eating dinner at once is nine. And <laughs> so they're all crowded into this room and they stand up and they eat because it's the only social space they've got apart from where they have to go and buy food at the refectory or whatever they call it at that college. Um, so they, they use the space for what it's not intended for. It's there to just prepare your meal and go back. Of course, you go back to your room and eat, don't you? you know, but they don't. They stand there and they talk because that's where they can talk. So this idea of sort of 
and some of the literature talks about sort of hallways being really important, much more important than we we think about sort of places to learn and share knowledge. And here are the students de demonstrating it to us. So I, I show this just to show how you can you can use a sim seemingly unimportant happy snap to generate a whole topic which um, which we then had a discussion about with other students and asked all of them what happens in your college do you have places to eat etc 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 and you sort of branch out into these different areas and it's very valuable um, so I'll move on from the day experience to talk about the shutdown challenge which is a um, I would say a methodology that we found very, very useful in investigating technologies per se, whereas the other methods, perhaps only one other, is, is focused on technology. Um, in this case, we focused our recruitment on younger students because we knew from the figures in the survey that the younger students were the heavier users of technology. So we got 17 undergraduates here. Um, they simply got a notebook and some instructions, and five days when we asked them to give up one of four technologies, or all of the four technologies. Um, so they were sort of roughly equally divided into these five groups um, randomly. The whole building's shaking for some reason. I hope that's not a sign. <laughs> it does that, does it? Okay. All right. Um, so, mobile phone, web browsing, except to check email. We didn't ban them from email. We thought that would be a bit cruel since they really actually have to have email for their studies. Um, chat programs, Facebook, or other social networks, or all of the above. We chose those technologies because they were the most heavily used, and that's that, apart from email, of course. Um, and that seems like a, a good idea with a shutdown challenge. So we got these fantastic entries. I'm going I'm to show you the transcription of this, but I wanted to show you the longhand first. So... Here we go, and it says, a long day predicts a long evening and I have no one to turn to. My boyfriend has switched off his phone and I have yet to find a reply in my inbox. Do you think this was an English student? I'm not sure. Um, do I wait for the f by the phone for his call? Should I run off my sugar binge or should I use it to focus for another hour? Lack of net surfing forces me to decide this minute about this evening. I will read and work, then strain or stretch or something to relieve the distress. <laughs> Did the warden's secretary at All Souls see my webpage and had she, would the tone of her reply to my query about postdoctoral fellowships have sounded so inviting? <laughs> it's very flowery, but amongst the, amongst the sort of... Um, flowery language, we get some interesting little tidbits as well. Um, she talks about um, her obsessive, perhaps obsessive-compulsive obsessive and somewhat, somewhat BPD tendencies, bipolar disorder, I assume, um, habitual behaviour. We see references to habitual behaviour occurring a lot within the shutdown challenge. Um, we also learn in this little entry down here about the fact that she's been up at five o'clock in the morning uh, and then attended two lectures. <laughs> and it's quite, I mean, that baffled me, but it's quite interesting to see uh, these sorts of entries. Uh, um, that sort of entry uh, is not untypical. And, and, and in fact, we got more, you know, sort of stronger. Um, uh, 
discussion of the fact that they they felt totally addicted to certain te technologies, um, Facebook being among the most addictive. <laughs> but um, perhaps mobile phone was quite interesting. Entries about the mobile phone often talked about the fact that um, they uh, didn't realise that they used their mobile phone so much. Um, they talked about things like they didn't realise that they used their mobile phone to do so many different things, like being a torch or using it as an alarm clock, you know, these sorts of things that, of course, the point about this method is it brings into relief those things that we take for granted. It, take, it takes away that. It, it, it allows you to see things with a new lens. And um, so we found it to be quite, quite useful for that purpose. The other one that was, um, I guess, focused a bit more on technologies um, or uh, at least information um, and the use of information was what we called for the students' purposes the tricorder. Um, you know, you, you've seen Star Trek, I assume, the tricorder, which is the sort of gadget that will just sort of do anything. And the very advanced technology method makes use of this mythology that there's a gadget that can do anything you want it to do. And what we did was um, we gave them the gadget, and it was, in fact, the voice recorder, but we, we put a little label on it saying, tricorder. And we told them... <laughs> it's not that we think they're stupid, it's <laughs> that we want them to, to suspend disbelief. <laughs> and um, imagine that this technology can do anything you ask it to do as long as you describe it fully enough, in as much detail as you can. <coughs> and... Um, when they described it, of course, they switch on the voice recorder and then they describe what they want. And the point about this methodology is that it, it, um, it captures the unseen. So I'm hoping to answer the question about people who don't tell you anything <laughs> um, in, a, in a sort of way. We were looking at desires, what's not there, um, uh, what's, what you might not find if you simply looked at what people told you about the technologies that they actually use. Um, with this method, you're asking them to, to imagine what could be, and you're, you're asking them to um, um, use this fiction in order to inform you about their needs. And for that purpose, I think it was, it was very useful <coughs> and interesting. Um, we got 12 um, postgrads, um, five undergrads to do this. Some people even said to us, can I do it for longer? Um, we had a disabled student who wanted longer to to think about it and to talk about it as well. Um, that was interesting in itself. And um, we got some interesting comments. Um, here's a, a comment um, about being a PhD student. Um, this is a student who's working in the area of philosophy and she's looking for a way, a sort of technology that would be able to take ideas that she have on the hoof. So hopefully I'm getting to your question, Anne, about being on the move. But this is not about a methodology. It's about her thoughts. But she was looking for something that enabled her to capture her ideas while she was moving around. So she was talking about a sort of voice-driven... She goes on to talk about a sort of voice-driven interface, um, something that perhaps is not really all that far off actually in the imagination but um, she wants it to be able to take what she's what she's thinking about convert it into something written for her to work, work on later but also to take for her to be able to say well, well read me chapter 
three of my thesis now, and then it would go to that point and, and run back through her ideas again. So this sort of tool for reviewing that sort of thing. Um, I thought it was interesting because um, it, if you were able to collect, collect enough ideas like this, you might get a, quite an interesting um, picture of what what students are thinking about and what they need. Where it's been used in the past is in things like uh, um, public transport systems. And I believe they, they just took a block of wood and they painted it pink with purple polka dots or something and they, they gave them this fiction. But then they fo followed them around on the public transport system and they videotaped what they were doing. And the idea there was they were trying to find out what you needed to know at any point. Uh, how else would you do that other than going around with somebody? So they would say to the block of wood, I just wish I knew when the number five was arriving um, at this moment or whether it's been delayed because I could go and get the train or I could wait here, that sort of thing. So out of that comes these sort of little information bulletins that are kept up to date on the, on the bus stop, that sort of, that sort of idea you can, that you can create a picture of information needs. Um, the movers and shapers method um, is a discussion method that we thought fitted very well with the institution. Um, uh, we, the idea was that we'd invite all the participants who'd uh, taken part in the qualitative methods to come back again. Um, being exempt, and we only got eight of them to come back, which was actually quite a, quite a good feat in that particular week. Um, but you could work this method we've we've had working up to um, about 24 people or, or even more. You could easily make it work. Um, you can have up to to four groups. We had them in two groups, but um, in the in the situation with four groups, you could split them up into um, r roughly equal numbers. Um, then. You ask them to discuss a topic. It has to be a topic that's broad enough to gain some sort of interest. So we said something like, um, imagine you're in the University of Cambridge and it's the year 2057. The university's been governed by um, wise people, but people who are not, um, don't feel like they're compelled to be conservative. They can, they can do whatever they wanted to do. Um, and looks like the T's arrived. Um, and what is the picture of the university in this year, 2057? So it's a you know, nice broad topic, very potentially controversial. Um, you facilitate the discussion. Um, they simply discuss the topic for, for the first 15 minutes, say. Then you ask them to pull out, a, a, out of a hat a, a little ticket that says either mover or shaper, the movers move on to the next group in this sort of carousel format. Um, the shapers stay put, and the shapers are the ones who have to sum up the discussion that they've previously had, present it to the movers, and the movers are asked to challenge what the shapers say. Then it progresses to the next level. The interesting thing, I think, comes when, when you get the moves happening, and the, the shapers are continually refining their ideas and literally shaping their ideas based on the feedback they've got. And really um, you get out of it a very, very lively discussion and you get quite an interesting set of data. We also gave them these sort of uh, uh, flip chart sheets but as, as um, um, just top, you know, on, on, as, as uh, the top of their tables just covered in it um, so they could 
write on the on the uh, ta- these paper tablecloths um, as much as they liked, and we take that and we and we photograph it and, and code that up as well. It's quite quite useful. But the video and audio tape is is very very useful. So. Um, with that particular one, we, we found quite a lot of interesting topics came out of that. We used two topics because we had um, eight students and we had plenty of time. We actually found that we, we had the allocated time, which was about an hour and a half, and the students just stayed and talked for another hour afterwards. They didn't want to leave and they, they just kept talking, which is, again, I was quite surprised by that. Um, we've used that method again this term because it was so successful. So... The sorts of things that sort of jumped out when we ran through this data, all these different data from different methods, were these kind of broad topics, you know, sort of scholarship, um, sociality, time and space, which I mentioned, leisure, um, which posed further questions, you know, well, scholarship, you know, competition with other students in versus collaboration with other students. And, um, we would find references to both of those things. You know, resources for scholarship, the relationship between scholarship and space, which I've mentioned already, actually. Um, material for space or convivial space, etc., etc. So um, disability was another one, and diversity was a, a, a broader topic. Um, but disability came up because we had four or five students who mentioned some form of disability just out of the 50 we had in our group and we found it was so interesting that we followed up with interviews and we have now followed up with a a diversity strand of the project um, particularly looking at disability issues um, which again I'll mention in a second Um, so that's the sort of thing that we're doing in terms of drawing out themes to develop that idea a little bit further, I'll just show you some stuff that we worked up um, about time. So from the day experience method, it became clear that students are frequently pursuing more than one activity simultaneously. So at any given time, a student uh, may be reading uh, an academic paper and taking notes from that paper and listening to music in the background chatting to someone online and contributing to to a face-to-face conversation in the room. Um, Conversation is both social and work-related. The frequency frequency with which um, the method interrupted students whilst multitasking indicates that this is a commonplace and preferred work style. Um, Our example frequently reported that we caught them in a calm and relaxed demeanour to a point of boredom. Um, but these reports were punctuated with um, those at the opposite end of the scale. So they're sort of bouncing between panic and boredom. Um, when we presented this to the steering group, some steering group members said, that's a su- surprising finding. Are you sure about that? You know, And some said, no, no, this is absolutely normal for any student. <laughs> um, so you can go either way with that. But... Um, you know, this is the type of thing that comes out of looking at these issues. Where we looked at all of the issues to do with time, we, we, we began to find that, that sort of thing coming up. In the shutdown challenge, um, we, we uh, looked at the daily life of the student um, as fluid and, and largely open, with few fixed points for reference in time or, or in place. And action 
that is coordinated with others is negotiated through an exchange of messages on an as-needs, just-in-time basis. This includes interactions of a social kind and, to a degree, supervisions. Supervisions um, being so important at, at Cambridge. So, um, as-needs, just-in-time coordination is the norm in that environment, it seems. Here's some examples of, of the sorts of things. I would say 90% of what I do, I do at work. And then there are times when I just want to sit on the bed and work on a laptop, then I work at home, usually at night. Occasionally on Sunday, actually, yeah, I try, and, try not to go in one day a week, and that's usually Sunday. Sunday is probably when I just work at home rather than go in. I usually come in into the office, she means, um, around 9 and leave around 9 or 10. Interesting, I think. Very interesting. Uh, I feel happy to be writing emails, but a bit guilty because it's almost 2 p.m. and I haven't done any work again apart from looking at a few photographs. Um, there is a distinction be between day and night for this student because she is either always working or else feels, this is notes, else feels like she, she uh, should be working. The flexibility can be useful if she knows there is some, something she wants to, to do during the day or in the night. So, quite interesting. Diversity is another topic. Um, yeah, as I mentioned about four students identified themselves was with a disability. Um, it's difficult for those without a classified disability to truly comprehend the struggles a person with any form of disability faces within society. Um, th through the initial research, um, some interesting findings emerged from students. Um, the, some of these findings stemmed from the various methods used, while others came within um, the coffee meeting discussions. Now, I'll just unpack that. Coffee meetings are what the steering group gave us as a sort of idea for one-to-one -one discussions. You know, sit down and have a cup of coffee with, for example, each member of the steering group um, as teaching members we, we had a coffee meeting with. But we also did follow-up interviews in this style with students. And, and one, one of those was a student with, uh, with ME, um, which we found very, very useful. Um, what seems clear from these initial findings is that there is a great deal of further research that needs to be conducted um, with students from a variety of diverse backgrounds in order to give a voice to those who feel most marginalised. And that's what we're intending to do with this next stage. Religion, international students, gender balance all come up as well as issues and, and which issues that we're again using for analysis for this second phase. So, um, here's the student with ME, um, and I can't, I'm sorry that I can't remember what ME stands for, but somebody here might know, but we, we call it chronic fatigue syndrome in Australia. I, I learned that that's the same thing. She just has um, terrible problems just getting to lectures, so I often can't go to lectures because I'm simply not well enough, and to have access to listening to the lecture in my own time when I'm well enough would be just incredible. It would be so helpful and I'd really, it would really make my life easier. Because at the moment, you know, I, I miss a lot of lectures and it does have an effect on my achievements. Here's a student who, when we looked at it, she actually got first class honours in her first year. Um, at the end of the first year, she was um, ready to, to leave Cambridge and, 
and give up because it was so difficult. Not because she couldn't get to lectures somehow, but because it cost her so much because she had to get a, a cab. And Cambridge is a small place. <laughs> I'm from Melbourne, which is a, geographically very, very big. So it seems to me an odd thing to say that it's too far to go. You'd think it would be so close. Actually, just going from one end of Cambridge to the other was too much. You can't just jump on a bike. So um, just the awareness of these issues is quite incredible. So she had to pay £50 pounds a week to get those cabs. That was just beyond her breadline. She couldn't manage it. Little did she know that there was a you know, sort of a, um, a disability resources centre there with information about getting cabs charged for free if you've got a disability. And for whatever reason, her, the college system missed out on telling her, look, there's this place to go. It's an, it's an invisible illness. You can't see. You, looking at her, she looks absolutely fine. You can't see what she's going through. And yet she almost left the university. That's the kind of issue that, that we can uncover through looking at and going and actually speaking to students. So, um, yeah. This, the current work that we're doing, how am I going for time? We better finish up, I guess, uh, very soon. Okay, to allow questions. So I'll just mention very quickly, the current work that we're doing is a follow-up where we're looking at um, uh, not just ICTs, but just the, the, the general student experience. We've also included staff in this, um, although it's been particularly difficult to get staff to submit themselves to the uh, a day in the life or day experience um, method so far. We've only had three um, with some, some effort, although they, we can't offer to give them book vouchers. <laughs> they already get paid. So um, we started again with a survey which we based on the um, assist, uh, the approaches, to, for approaches and study skills inventory for students developed by the ETL group. Um, at uh, University of Edinburgh. Um, so we're looking at study skills in that survey. Um, following up on that, we did field work uh, over the last two months. We've, we've just still been doing it last week, actually, with some of the movers and shapers sessions. And we've got, I think, um, about 20 undergraduates, uh, no, 20 students this time and three staff to do the day experience. A larger number doing the movers and shapers. We've had several. We've, we will have had six movers and shapers sessions by the end, um, I think, because we're doing two in January as well. So um, again, we've got another rich set of data which needs to be analysed, and hopefully, uh, I will publish about that at some point, and you can read about it. But uh, that's what we're up to at the moment. So with that, I'd like to just throw it open for discussion and um, ask anybody to make any point they'd like or ask a question they'd like. Yeah, I, I found it absolutely fascinating, and um, I'm just wondering if you could say a little bit more about the day experience model. Did you collect the images just at the end when they handed in the camera, or was there any yeah. kind of daily kind of gathering of images? Yeah, the sort of mechanics of doing that—it's uh, actually much more difficult than it sounds like because <laughs> you've got to round all these cameras up. We used throwaway cameras. So I wouldn't do that again. Uh, we used it both both times. I would use digital cameras doing it in the future. I'm planning another round when I get back to Australia. And first thing I'm with this is money for digital cameras. Um, and the cheapest ones you can find, are the better. I really tried to do it this time, but we couldn't actually get enough cameras, believe it or not. Trying as hard as I could, I couldn't get enough of the same model 
otherwise it would have done it that way. And that would mean you could take all the cameras back in, simply plug them in, download the images, and they're ready to go again. With this loop, we had to get them um, all uh, uh, developed onto CD, and sometimes we'd get the CDs back just before it was time to do the, um, the slideshow. This term, it was, it was tight, because we're trying to get everything done efficiently and not waste people's time. So it's doable with the throwaway cameras, but it, it's, it, was a, it was a sort of turnaround time of about a day minimum to get the cameras back, take them somewhere, get them processed, and get the CDs back. Mm-hmm. If you do it you know, sort of in, at a one-hour place, of course, you, you pay a lot, sure. and you can get it done, which we've had to do sometimes, but, but generally speaking, that was the idea. And just one supplementary, when you think you might publish something on this or something like that? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, the other part of the story for me is I'm leaving the country. I'm going back to Australia soon. Um, but my plan is that we will um, publish something next year, early next year. That's my hope. Um, it, we, we have to be careful with the use of the data, of course, and we've got a whole steering group there to steer us in the direction of well, how, how would they like it used. Um, so there's the issue of just simply, well, how much does the university want to tell the outside world, I, I suppose? Um, but um, we do. We were very careful to get um, clearance from the students to use the data for research purposes, on the understanding that it was used in an anonymous way. So we have no problems there. But there is a sort of round of making sure that we've sort of promised that our steering group clears anything that's published. So we have to go through the steering group first. So there's a little bit of a, a rider there, but we will definitely publish about it. There's no doubt about it. Next year, I would imagine. Yeah. Any more questions? Well, at the end, uh, you sort of hinted at uh, having a mass of data as well from all this. Is there a point where you you sort of feel like you're just ploughing through the data because it's it's there, and you sort of know some, you know, you've, you've managed to give us some answers just from very yep. few examples. Yep. Uh, so you've got hundreds and hundreds of answers. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like five would have been enough? <laughs> In fact. Funny that you mentioned that because one of the things that the steering group said was, well, just give us the six top issues, you know. <laughs> so that, that we were trying to do that with the themes in a way. But we're also now working up burning issues, you know, sort of live issues that the university can approach. So that's one of the first stages that we'll do with the analysis of the current terms data. But I, I reached down to, to, to get this paper because I'll give you an example. Probably the best thing to do is... We've looked at, um, and anybody can take a copy of this, um, although I've only got 10, I'm sorry. But, for example, we're, we, we were quite curious about this issue of Facebook. So, um, and, and it seems to us that, it, although everybody knows it exists, perhaps the impact of something like Facebook on student-staff relations, for example, might not be being well understood at this stage. And yet we've got this sort of bunch of data, that, and including this current term, actually, um, about Facebook within our databanks now. So, and we've coded it all. It's all in there, and we can search for it. We simply go in and go, bang, bring me everything on Facebook, and it dumps it out. So when you've got an issue like that that you, that you want to be incisive about, um, it was very quick for us to develop a little paper about it and, and answer some of the questions. And we've got 
we've got the, the statistics from the survey as well about about usage. If we have, say, for an ex example, the law faculty came to us and said, "Well, tell us more about why law students." We've got hopefully we've got statistics, but we've also got methods that they could use to answer questions of their own, and that's I think the most useful thing of all. So one of the things that I'm doing is before I leave, I'm going to develop a kit um, with these methodologies sort of spelled out. So the actual mechanics of what I did and how I did it and how the group did it um, so that people could take that off the shelf and just use it and or modify it as they see fit. So that's my plan to do that. But this is an example of the sort of thing that I think you're getting at, sort of well, if, what if you've got an issue, how do, how do I go about using it? It's quite simple, really. We did, just to tell people, I, I use a thing called TAMS. I don't know if people know this, but I'm a Macintosh user. Uh, there are very few qualitative um, analysis tools for the Mac really anymore uh, since Invivo stopped being available for the Mac. Um, although I'm prepared, I'm, I'm willing to be convinced otherwise. <laughs> Please tell me if there's something better. But TAMS was very, very good at allowing us to work as a research team uh, because it has this sort of database approach so that you can have many people working on the one project together. So you can see, you can allow it, we had three or four people coding up this material from their own perspectives. You can either see just one person's codes or you can search for everybody's mention of Facebook, for example, which is the sort of thing I like to do. Um, and it will bring you back everything in an instant. Um, so we found it very, very useful. But I hope that answers the question anyway. People are most welcome to take this. This has also got some of the references for the methods on it. So. Mm. I, your, your, your material is wonderful, <laughs> I think that. And uh, the, the, the problem which I'm having with it is actually one which I've had the same difficulty I found in my own research, which is trying to be equivalently unbounded, mm. which is what is it actually about at the end of the day? Is it about learning? Is it about technology? Or is it about life? Mm. Now, you haven't in your talk talked at all about like what's learning and what isn't learning. It seems to be mixing the two yeah. quite thoroughly. And I'm very glad about that. But I think it's really difficult to start drawing that distinction. Um, you've been talking about technology and all kinds of other things as well. It seems to me it's actually about life. Going back to the photograph of the punt, which you showed at the beginning, which raised a laugh, but I think that was actually profound because actually the, the boundary of the punt represents, doesn't it, the boundary of the student existence of Cambridge. And either that's your, that's right, your yeah. focus and what's in the punt. Exactly. One has to have bounds for some kind of research yeah. project. Um, but then the difficulty comes when you have to start making meaning out of this, and especially where presumably you've got a project steering group who wants to know things about learning and how we're teaching learning effectively. That's, that's, that's true. what they want to hear about. That's true. Um, um, yeah, you don't have to about, I feel it's about life. Yeah. <laughs> I would like it to be the broadest <laughs> type of thing uh, that it can be. But then that doesn't preclude looking at learning. If you want to define learning in a particular way, well, you can look at that. Um, but the methods are not intended to be too um, narrow to allow that sort of thing to happen. Um, but the project, uh, the project you know, is, is ostensibly about teaching and learning. And so where, where we, that tells you where we might not go. Um, I think that's the best way to describe it. You might, you might I mean, for example, uh, oh, I don't need to give examples. I think you can imagine that um, we might have lots and lots of things in there that are relevant or not relevant to 
teaching and learning per se, but in our analysis, we're going to be interested in certain things. Um, but I really feel that the method, the, the day experience method, which I think is what you're focusing in on, um, is good at looking at everyday experience of whatever it might be, including uh, interactions with or um, something deeper about um, sort of defining yourself using technology as well. And, un- and, and I think that part of the... Part of the problem with some of the, the stuff that you read about technology and the use of technology, um, here's my HPS background coming out, is it just focuses on technology and, and we, we know this and yet we still use research data that is very, and, and, we, and we read and, and talk about these studies about technology per se without really unpacking that. So. I think it's better to, to try and look at a broader br- brush and say, where does the technology stand on its own two feet? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's a comment, really. It, I think it comes from the whole issue. I've seen things a bit like this before um, about cultural pro- probes, and it is that it's a probe into a cultural setting. So it's looking at the whole context and how they fit within that context. So it's, it's like you said, the broader picture. Yeah, yeah if you want to read the... The stuff about cultural probes, I'm just wondering... Yeah, this, this one, the, the Gaver and, and Dunn article, I'd recommend starting there with the cultural probe stuff. Uh, I think it's on the back of this one too. And it sounds... Yeah, it is. Uh, similar to some of the stuff that Jenny Carroll did, I think you referred to her work. She did a something with the seminar here when she was visiting. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Any more questions or comments? Um, I'm not really sure whether I'm going to get to a question at the end of it, but just <laughs> thinking about what you've just said, and, and thanking you again for a really fascinating uh, presentation. Um, yes, we need to get that broad perspective on how students are using technology. But, you know, when, when you, the university wants to say, well, I mean, the so what at the bottom, the kind of what... You, that what happens then? How do you use that breadth of understanding yeah. to provide the sorts of insights that, that the sponsors, the advisory yeah. group, will want? Uh, um, I should declare one other thing, actually, at this point, which is part of the purpose of the project, the Learning Landscape Project, is not simply to sort of have a research project and an outcome that is research orientated. So we're going to reserve that part of the question to the second half of my answer. The, the other equal part of the project is engagement. So when we go out and talk to people, including students, it's a win for the project in the sense that we're trying to create space for discussion about teaching and learning and, and these broader issues about life and, and what it means to be, you know, have a, have a kitchen this size, <laughs> all these sorts of issues that are relevant and at the forefront of people's um, sort of existence at the university, and yet they don't necessarily get looked at. And what, one of the things about the the um, research outcomes is, you may have an experience of your own world um, that's very detailed and deep, if you if you like, um, 
but the tendency that we, we started with this premise that the tendency of people is to extrapolate that out to the rest of the institution and at a place like Cambridge this is, seems particularly relevant um, but um, your idea of what teaching and learning is for example your idea of what a lecture is your idea of what a supervision is your idea of what you know any facet of that life is um, may be vastly different from the understanding of other people or of their understanding of your life. So when we went and spoke to people in the Faculty of English and then the next day we went and spoke to people in, in the Department of Physics and they said, oh, well, in English they do it this way, of course, you know, this is how they examine it. We would, we would be like, hang on a minute, no, they don't. But <laughs> we were in this position that we weren't before. So the university, as, as a result, is in this position that they weren't in before to make, draw comparisons. Um, the, the power of the, the day experience method is, I, I suppose, partly, it, it's never going to be, as you saw with the, I put up the slide at the very beginning with the sort of end size, it's never going to have the weight of numbers to, to convince everybody um, that this is something that's, you know, you should extrapolate to the rest of the university. But it is going to shine a light on some issues that don't get a light in other ways. So when we showed, you know, the stuff about the student with ME, when we showed there was a Muslim student who was talking about going to prayer rooms um, around, and there's only one prayer prayer room that she can go to in Cambridge and then having to get to her college which is on the outskirts of, outskirts of Cambridge anyway and these sort of travelling issues, these kind of things it just, just shines a light on these issues so in one sense uh, I'm sidestepping the, the question a little bit I know but part of the purpose was actually not necessarily to have um, very very uh, you know sort of research outcomes that could be couldn't be challenged in any way. The part, part of the point was simply to put issues out there and ask them to be investigated further. Having said that, I think once, because we get this fairly rich data set, you can draw examples from enough different areas and, and then part of our process is to go back to the departments and faculties and, and circulate back iteratively through larger and larger groups to check these ideas and find out whether the issues are resonant. Um, in that sense, you can get uh, a much closer view of what what really matters, I suppose. Yeah. I'm afraid we've come to the end of our time, so perhaps there's a good chance to continue the corridor. Let's just thank you for your The tea and coffee has arrived. <laughs>